Well, good morning. We're glad you are joining us for the second week of the series, The Bible Doesn't Say That. And uh, hey, we have family joining us online and out at the amazing Stone Canyon campus right now. So could you put your hands together and welcome them into our time together this morning? Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jake, and for the past five years, I've been on staff here at First Church, and I have been the uh, campus minister, like I said, out at the amazing Stone Canyon campus where myself and my wife Christy and my daughter Taylor worship together each Sunday. And uh, just recently, I've stepped into a new role that was just created here at First Church, and that is the role, role of care minister. So I'm not the person who would normally be standing up here in this spot on a Sunday morning, but here I am. So just to let you know, next week, our senior minister, Chad Broadus, will be back up here. I know we're all excited for that as we continue this series. But let's get started this morning and with this topic today. Sometime around, I think it was around 1989 or 1990, my dad realized that um, I needed to get a job. And uh, it was sometime around that time that I think he realized my tendency to be super lazy. So he knew I needed a job, and uh, as a young teenager, I was perfectly content that summer to just hang out in my house and eat all the snacks I could get my hands on and uh, watch MTV back when it played music videos and uh, play Nintendo. That was what my summer was going to be, but that was not an option for my dad. Um, he was a very hard worker with a really uh, off-the-charts work ethic, and so having a son sit around and do nothing all summer was not going to happen. So I applied for one of the only summer jobs available to a young teen in the late 80s and early 90s in central Illinois, and that was the job of detasseling corn. Now, I think I've talked about that up here before, which is weird, but um, if you don't know what detasseling corn is, let me just quickly explain it to you. You get up way too early in the morning, and you, you pack a lunch, and they herd you onto this bus full of other kids, and the school bus takes you far from your town, out in the middle of nowhere in the country, and drops you off at a cornfield. And you all get off the bus, and they make you go into this cornfield, and you walk up and down the rows of corn, and it's wet because the dew has been on the corn, and it's hot because there's no air moving in a cornfield, and it's miles and miles of corn, and you pull the tassel off the top of each stalk of corn like this, back and forth, and there's another kid who's like the crew boss behind you, and he's yelling at you and doing other shenanigans, and uh, you try to survive in this field with a bunch of kids your age. Then they let you have lunch, and then they make you do it some more, and then they put you back on the bus, and they take you back to your town, and you get off, and you walk home dirty, and wet, and tired, and sunburned, in my case, and uh, your arms are cut up from the leaves of the corn, which are surprisingly sharp when they come in contact with your skin all day. And let me just tell you, it's an amazing summer job. I loved it so much. Nope, it was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Actually, you can make a lot of money detasseling corn. The more you do it summer after summer, you kind of climb the ladder, you get to be one of those crew boss kids, and by the time you're a senior in high school or even a college student, you're, you're making pretty good money. It's pretty good money for a summer job, but no amount of money 
was going to make me stick with the tasseling corn. It just was not going to happen. So my next job, my next summer job, was at a new little convenience store in our little town. Um, and one of the things that this store sold was fried chicken. So I got hired to be a cook. Now, I wasn't old enough to drive a car, but apparently I was old enough to work around giant vats of hot grease and serve poultry to the customers. <laughs> and uh, as you can imagine, I didn't like that job either. I had to get up early in the morning again because we had breakfast stuff, and I don't like cleaning up food messes, and so that job did not work out either. But then when I was 16 years old, I landed a job that I loved, and I got a job at the local Ace Hardware, and to this day, I still have great memories from the years that I ended up working there. Here's a picture of my dad and I at Ace Hardware, and uh, he's proud, proud dad of a son that's working, and he's glad he's wearing his Tim the Toolman shirt there. And uh, you can tell that I haven't uh, changed much over the years. My face kind of grew into my nose and ears a little bit more. But other than that, that was uh, the early 90s at Ace Hardware there. But one of the many great things about working at this store, I've got great memories, but one of the many great things is some of the skills that I learned. I got to learn a lot of cool stuff at Ace Hardware. And I knew even at that age that the things that I was learning that they were going to help me later in life, you know, little things about electrical work or plumbing or little home repair fix-it things. I knew that these things would someday allow me to really help myself when it came time to do that. I knew that someday I would be able to help myself and fix these things instead of having to pay someone to do these things for me. So I knew it was valuable. And really, a lot of those skills that I learned at Ace Hardware back then, they have paid off. I have been able to put those into practice today. I've been able to help myself in the different homes that we've owned and things like that, and it's been, been really neat. Now, it hasn't worked out that way all the time. For me, there's, there's definitely a level at which I can help myself, and then I have to call in the professionals. And I think we all probably have that sort of level somewhere. Some of us are a lot more skilled than others, but all of us probably have this level at some point that we can no longer help ourselves, that we have to call out for help. And that can be kind of a tough thing for a lot of us to do because we're people who don't want to be regarded as lazy or incapable of doing something. Um, we want to be strong. We want to be independent people. We know the importance of self-reliance and initiative. So all those things, uh, those are so important to us. Sometimes it's hard to call out for help. I think that's maybe why we, we might not find anything wrong with the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. We might even think that it sounds like something that is probably in the Bible. It might not be that big of a stretch at all for us to think that in order to expect any sort of help from God, we need to do our part first. We need to show God that we've done everything that we can to help ourselves, and as a last resort, we, we come to him for help. And then when he sees how much we've tried to help ourselves, he'll lend his helping hand into the situation. But does the Bible say that? Does the Bible claim that in this life that we live and, and all the, the struggles that we face, I mean big, real life struggles, and all those struggles that we face and in all those difficult circumstances that we have to navigate, I mean really, really difficult stuff, does the Bible say that in those times um, to expect help from an all-knowing and all-powerful and ever-present God, it's, it's tied to whether or not we're successful in helping ourselves. 
and, and drumming up enough strength on our own to, to first show that we have some sort of initiative. Well, it's kind of a tough question because just like my dad didn't want a lazy son, I do believe that God doesn't want his children to be lazy. And we can find evidence of that throughout Scripture. Here's just a few that I found this past week. Proverbs 12, 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Proverbs 19, 15, laziness brings on deep sleep and the shiftless go hungry. Ecclesiastes 10, 18, through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. Proverbs 10.4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12.27, the lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Even the parable that Chad talked about a few weeks ago, you might remember it. Jesus is telling a story about the master and the servants, and the master is going away, and he entrusts his wealth to the servants, and they're supposed to make use of that in a, in a wise way, and one servant doesn't do what he's supposed to do. And in the, in the parable in Matthew 25, 26, the master replies to that servant. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. So I think the idea behind the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, probably comes from the idea that God doesn't want his followers to be lazy or to lack initiative or have a poor work ethic and I don't think anybody would disagree with that that seems pretty clear but I think there's a danger in this statement God helps those who help themselves if we apply it to life as a whole because there are times in this life when we can't help ourselves in fact I think God specializes in helping those who can't help themselves we see this play out throughout the Bible. And uh, actually, just to, to be completely transparent this morning, writing this message was actually pretty difficult for me. And it wasn't difficult because I didn't understand the topic. It wasn't difficult because I'm not passionate about the topic. It was difficult because there are so many examples throughout the Bible of God helping those who can't help themselves. It was kind of hard for me to narrow it down for a while. And also, I thought just presenting those examples should be enough to explain this pretty pretty clearly. But then, after I looked at it a little bit more and I thought through a few different ideas, I finally decided that there's one story from the life of Jesus that would be really good to look at this morning. That would actually be perfect. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, verse 18. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you have an app on your phone, open that up. Also, the scripture will be up on the screen so you can follow along. But Luke chapter 5, Verse 18, in this passage, there's a story that many of you may be familiar with. If you've been around church at all throughout your life, um, even if you haven't been around church very much, you might have heard this story because it's a pretty popular one. You might have come across it in another sermon or in a Bible study or just reading on your own sometime. But what's going on here in Luke chapter 5 is that Jesus is teaching and a crowd has gathered. And Luke writes this, beginning in verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. 
So in these first couple verses from this event, we're introduced to a man who has to rely on other people to get him from point A to point B. He was helpless when it came to getting around. And I can't really imagine what his life must have been like 2,000 years ago without the modern medical technology that we benefit from today. I'm not sure how this man had survived. I'm not sure how he came to be in the situation that he was in in the first place. But I do know one thing. He had friends. He had people who cared for him. In fact, they cared for him so much they carried him on a mat to the place where Jesus was teaching because they had faith that Jesus could make a difference in his life. And when it became difficult to get their friend in to see Jesus, they did not give up. They did not complain. They didn't say, man, I wish he would help out a little bit. I mean, God helps those who help themselves, am I right? No. They did something that I'm sure was regarded as crazy by the rest of the world. They climbed up on the roof, they made a hole, and they lowered the man down. But we think God helps those who help themselves. Well, what did this man do to help himself? Nothing that I can see so far. So will he be helped? Will God help him? Well, before we go there, I'd like to point something out. Sometimes, I think, we use this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, as a way to get out of something that God has called us to do. Have you ever done that? It's really easy for us to do. We see that homeless man, we know we should do something, but you know, God helps those who help themselves, and I don't see him doing much. We see that person, maybe even a loved one who's trapped in addiction, and we know we shouldn't give up on them, but God helps those who help themselves. We see that person who can't seem to overcome their grief, even though it's been a very long time, and we know we could show them love and comfort in some way, but man, come on. God helps those who help themselves. We see someone that is lonely and We know they could really use a friend, but maybe they should put forth a little effort themselves because after all, God helps those who help themselves. Or we might simply just ignore the fact that there are those around us every day who honestly can't help themselves. They are in a nursing home or a hospital. They need companionship and conversation, but it's awkward and uncomfortable and It's easier to pretend that we're too busy to care, or maybe that there's other people that God has better equipped to care for people like that. But we want you to know that First Church North Garnett and First Church Stone Canyon, this is a place and will continue to be a place where people are cared for because we love Jesus and love like Jesus. And the opportunities for you to participate in caring for others are endless. Like the paralyzed man's friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have faith in him just as they did, then you need to care for each other, even when it's awkward or difficult or uncomfortable. I know that many people find places like nursing homes, for example, as uncomfortable places to be for a variety of reasons. 
But one thing that I get to do in my new role is to spend some time visiting folks at local nursing homes. And one thing that's always going through my mind when I'm there visiting is I wonder how many of the folks there get regular visitors. I look around and I think, I wonder if there's some of the folks here who never have anybody visit them. And then I, I assume there's others there who have frequent visitors and maybe some people just every once in a while. But I always wonder that. I look around and wonder who, who in this place has someone to talk to and who doesn't. But no matter what, it's obvious that a nursing home could be a pretty lonely place. That's why it's always good when I go there, when I see people visiting other people. I, it's always very encouraging to me. Just last Sunday, I was at the nursing home taking communion to some of the residents there, and I went to visit one lady who is there, and when I went in her room, she had a couple visitors there, and I could just see the joy in her face because of the visitors that were there. And these are uh, a couple visitors who visit her frequently, and they always bring her gifts. And uh, she told me about this, and they were talking about it. And one of the gifts, the gifts they always bring her is some sort of spicy food. She's in her 90s, and she loves spicy food. And she told me she loves getting this gift because she doesn't have to share it with anybody else there because nobody else there can eat it. <laughs> she said she takes it to the cafeteria and says, anybody want some? And they all say, no. She says, good. And so she gets to keep it on. So they had brought her some spicy jalapeno jelly, and she was all excited about that, and she showed that to me. And as she was explaining that to me, I said, oh, that reminds me of something in my life. There's a certain type of candy that I like, and I like it. One of the reasons I like it is because nobody else likes it, and I don't have to share it with anybody. Um, it's black licorice. I love black licorice. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, and she said, oh, and she opens this drawer next to her, and it's full of food and snacks. And she pulls out a big bag of black licorice. <laughs> and shares some with me, and it was awesome. But the, the joy in her face and in her life because of visitors is just so apparent. And it's like that over and over and over again there at the nursing home. Another lady, I had mentioned that I was going to bring my daughter to come with me the next time I came, and I, and I didn't bring her. She was here at an event that was after church last Sunday, and the first thing she said to me was, where's your daughter? And she didn't care about me. She wanted to meet my daughter. It was just so important to her to meet someone else, and to visit with a, a young child. Stories like that can go on and on and on. But the point is this, and my encouragement to you is this. Don't leave people lying on their mat, struggling and helpless, because you don't feel called. Guess what? As a child of God, you are called. The only question is, which struggling person or people are you called to help? That's what you need to figure out. It could be through you that people continue to come in contact with Jesus, or maybe even that people encounter Jesus for the very first time. So the paralyzed man, the helpless man, he does get the opportunity to encounter Jesus. And here's the, the first thing that happens. Luke writes this, in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, Luke writes, When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Guess what the paralyzed man was helpless to do for himself? Forgive his sins. Guess what the paralyzed man's friends were helpless to do for him? They helped him encounter Jesus, but they were helpless to forgive his sins. 
Guess what that entire crowd of people that were gathered there that day were helpless to do for themselves or for him, forgive sins. Guess what the religious leaders in that room that day were helpless to do for anyone, forgive sins. Even they themselves later in this text point out that only God can forgive sins. Well, it's good news for them because God in the flesh was in the room that day. And he helped someone who was unable to help himself in the most significant way that any human being needs help. Forgiveness of sin. If God helps those who help themselves, then we are all in a lot of trouble. Because there is no amount of work that we can do that will make us good enough to deserve forgiveness and salvation. Those of us in this room who have at some point in our lives cried out to God in belief and confession and repentance and been baptized, we should be able to testify to the fact that it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we have the promise of eternal life. This really is the ultimate example of God helping the helpless, and it applies to every single one of us. And that's made clear in what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. He says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you catch that? While we were still powerless. And he writes in Ephesians 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not from us. We are helpless when it comes to the forgiveness of our sins. I would venture to say that whoever it was that came up with the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, and it, there's some debate about that. Some say it's from the Quran. Some say it's Aesop. Some say it's even Benjamin Franklin. But whoever it was, I would venture to say, they did not know about or did not truly understand God's love for humanity. But do you understand it? Do you realize the love of the Father through his son Jesus as demonstrated on the cross through that sacrifice, as demonstrated by the empty tomb, the conquering of death? The love he has for you is so clear, and we don't want anyone to walk out the doors of this building today or out of the doors of Stone Canyon Elementary School today without hearing about the love that Jesus has for you, and without knowing that today can be the day that you cry out to God and become a part of his family through the forgiveness of your sin and receive the gift of eternal life. The religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, they did not understand or believe that Jesus was who he said he was, so they challenged Jesus' ability to forgive the man's sins. So beginning in verse 23, Luke tells us that Jesus does the impossible. This is Jesus speaking in Luke chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus says this, Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And imagine this, Jesus turns to the paralyzed man lying on his mat. says, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. I don't know the brokenness 
in your life that needs restoration or healing today. I don't know exactly how or what or when God will bring about that restoration or healing for you. I don't have all the answers to those questions, but I do know that we serve a God who helps restore us when we can't help ourselves. I learned something else through Ace Hardware as a teenager that was a much more important lesson than learning how to fix small electrical or plumbing problems. I learned what it means to call out to the one who can help us when we can't help ourselves. Let me explain. One summer, I worked at Ace with a guy who was a little bit older than me. His name was Rodney. And Rodney's younger sister was the same age as me. We were in school together. And uh, Rodney's family was well-known and respected in our little hometown. In fact, his dad was the athletic director at the high school. And after work one day, Rodney and I walked to our cars and we said see you later and we both got in our cars and drove off in opposite directions. And just a few seconds later, Rodney's car was involved in an accident. There was a high-speed chase through my little town of, uh, caused by a drunk driver and an accident happened and Rodney was instantly killed. It was a big tragedy for our little town. And of course, just an unimaginable horrible tragedy for the family. But one thing I'll never forget is something that the preacher shared at the funeral. It was at our little, my, my home church there in Clinton, Illinois, and he shared what, what I remember to be Rodney's favorite verse, and it was this, Psalm 34, 17 and 18. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Did you catch that? When we are helpless, when we are in the midst of a situation and we need some kind of restoration that's beyond what we can accomplish alone, when we find ourselves in a storm that we have no power to calm, when we are helpless, we can call out to God who specializes in helping those who can't help themselves. I've held on to that promise my entire life, and I hope that you hold on to that too. I, when I learned that lesson back as a young teenager, I couldn't anticipate the, the times where I would need to hold on to that promise. I couldn't anticipate having to call out for God because I was helpless in the situation when my daughter was born premature and she had to spend the first three weeks in the hospital instead of just a couple days. I couldn't have anticipated how I would need to call out to him for that healing of her little body. I couldn't anticipate the times when I would need to call out to God for emotional healing because of different challenging seasons of ministry that I've experienced over the past 20 years. I couldn't have anticipated that just a few years after attending Rodney's funeral and hearing Psalm 34, 17, and 18 for the very first time, that I would be sitting at my own father's funeral 
the guy in the picture, so proud of his hardworking son who was helping himself. But I would be sitting there crying out to God for restoration in my brokenness. Here's the deal, though. I know that all of you could stand up on this stage and state ways that you need healing or restoration. And if we all did that, we would hear big ways and small ways. We'd hear situations that began years ago. We'd hear pain that is brand new and current. We'd hear brokenness that affects people in every way imaginable. And no two things would be exactly alike. No two situations would be exactly the same. But there would be one huge similarity. What we'd all have in common is that we are all helpless. Now, if the message ended with that sentence, what a depressing morning this would be. But it doesn't end with that sentence. We are not on our own. We don't have to muster up enough strength to survive in isolation. We don't have to rely on whatever strength we can uh, build up inside ourselves because we care for each other and we cry out to God. We serve a God who specializes in helping those who can't help themselves. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning, and I just thank you so much for this time we've had together to worship you. And God, I thank you for how you so clearly state in your word the help that you give. God, I pray that we are people who care for each other. I pray that we are people who call out to you in our brokenness and helplessness. And I pray that you just give us perseverance and strength and to not grow weary in doing those things. God, thank you for being a God who specializes in helping those who can't help themselves because we know that we need that help. And ultimately, God, we know that we are powerless in the fact that our sins need forgiven. We know that it's because of Jesus dying on that cross that we have the opportunity to spend an eternity in heaven with you. And God, we thank you for being a God who helped us in that way that we were truly helpless. So God, guide and direct our steps as we leave this place today. God, thank you for being a God who loves us more than we can ever imagine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.